Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umar Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Eno Safo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, Asepas Mensan Thompson arrested and detained by police for publication of false news over the use of the presidential jet by family members of the president who go live to the police station where he's currently in detention. Also, coming up, government fires Ghana Airports Company MD Yao Kwakwa in the wake of the controversy over the Magdan private jet terminal. The letter is written to the board chairman and the board chairman will now convene a board meeting at which all the necessary steps will be undertaken pursuant to the company's acts. So it's confirmed. And later on Eyewitness News, group of Ghanaian doctors opposed to the mandatory vaccine policy to sue government after the back and forth over the same issue. Stay with 97.3 CTFM for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... Significant increases in prices associated with housing, water, electricity, gas and other fuels pushed national year-on-year inflation for January 2022 to 13.9%. That's the latest in the world of business with Natalie Netty of the Business Desk here at CTFM. For more on eyewitness news uh, just tune into the radio station that is bringing this broadcast in your area if you're in the western region listen to us on premier fm 100.5 in takrad in the bono region we are on green fm 95.9 in sunyani in the ashanti region we are on orange fm 107.9 in Kumas. in the eastern region we are on right fm 90.1 in somalia in the volta region we are on holy fm 98.5 in aplau in the northern region, Dasuma, 99.1 FM in Yendi, is bringing you this broadcast. And in the upper west region, we are on Bugli Radio, 88.6 FM in Wa, as well as Word FM, 88.3 in Zuarungu, in the upper east region. The comments are welcome to our WhatsApp and Telegram platforms, 0549-986-996, 0549-986-996. You can send tweets using the hashtag City Newsroom. Tweet at Umaru Sanda or at City973. And the world will hear what you think. Eyewitness News is broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. Let's go on the phone lines and begin our first story uh, from the police station at Teshi in the Greater Accra region. Anas Edu is our correspondent, security correspondent, that is, he joins us on the line. Anas, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Anas, can you hear me? I, I can hear you, Sandra. Fantastic. So tell us which police station exactly you are at and what the issue with uh, Mensah Thompson is. Thank you very much. Uh, Sandra, I'm at the Teshi District Police Command where uh, Mensah Thompson of Asepa is currently being detained. Uh, he was supposed to report at the Teshi Rasta Police Station. That's why he was invited on the 14th of January uh, this year. But unfortunately, his local counsel, Victor Adaudi, communicated with the police indicating that he was writing an exam and could not make it 
at the point at that time, but will be available in the first or second week of February. But on the 30th of January, the police went to the court and secured a warrant for his arrest. The council and himself didn't know, but he, the council told today that they were now ready to appear before the police and tell and, and, and be questioned. When they got there, they were shown the court warrant and told that once it's a warrant from the court, the practice is that they detain him and produce him in court tomorrow morning. I see. Give us a background to the story. Somewhere uh, in December, Vincent Thompson published on his Facebook page that family of President Ekufuado traveled to the UK with the presidential jet for shopping. This later, he came back, retracted that uh, publication and apologized, saying that his sources did not give him the right information. After the apology, he also went on to uh, get that published in some media online platform for the Ghana Armed Forces. But the Ghana Armed Forces had really released a press statement saying what it out was not the truth and that they had reported the matter officially to the Ghana Police Service. They indicated actually in the press statement that they had reported it to the Inspector General of Police. So that was the, the basis for his invite by the police. And the police said they received a formal complaint from the Ghana Armed Forces for that particular matter to be investigated and uh, the truth revealed. I had a conversation around that time with the acting director of public affairs of the Ghana Armed Forces, Commander Andy Layani, and he told me that the Armed Forces was ready to pursue the matter and make sure that their name is cleared on this particular issue because the presidential jet is being managed by the Ghana Armed Forces, specifically the Air Force. So for them, the statement for Mensah Thompson's application was not about the president or his family alone, but had to do with the Air Force managing this particular jet, which means that anybody could just come to the Ghana Armed Forces or the Air Force and let them uh, move the jet out of the country and back. So basically, that's what it is, and that is why. So in this case, the Ghana Armed Forces is the complainant. I see. Okay. Now, Mr. Thompson is there. Does he have anybody supporting him, or is he just there with his lawyer? Um, he came with a friend um, with name Butchish, I think, and the legal counsel, Victor Adawudu. These were the three people uh, who, who were there. They went through questioning. I think they were there for about three, four hours when they took these statements. They engaged the district police commander, and later it was communicated to him that he will not be able to go home. He will have to uh, pass the night at the police station and be produced in court tomorrow morning. Thank you so much, Anasi. You do is our security correspondent. Let me go on the other line and speak to the lawyer for the person in question. Victor Kojoga Adawudu is lawyer for Mensah Thompson. Mr. Kojoga Adawudu, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Confirm to us that your client is going to spend the night in the custody of the police tonight and any other information that is worth sharing with the public. Good evening. And um, yes, indeed, um, as stated by your reporter, we only came here on the invitation of the police as scheduled and we were told that there had been a warrant of arrest 
So after taking our statement, caution statement, chat statement, they said we were going to be detained and put before the court that issued a warrant tomorrow morning. Um, that is the Carnation Carnation District Magistrate Court. Does that mean he has been formally charged or he has to hear that in court tomorrow? Oh, he, he's been charged. So the charge statement, the charge is that is publication of false news under uh, Section 207 and 208. That the punishment for that is, a, is that is a misdemeanor. And uh, it baffles us a little bit that uh, if somebody, in all honesty, especially a civil society organization, has an information and is putting it out in the interest of the public and realizes that the source was not credible and comes back and says that I apologize if I have injured any feeling of any other person, then that constitutes becomes a criminal offense or a crime. Uh, we are yet to see. And I'm sure when we get to court, they're just listening to the facts and others. Then that is when I'm sure that we would, he would determine the matter. Two, I think that this purely matters that our constitution, if you read from Article 162 going to 164, grants the right of rejoinder that if a journalist or somebody publishes or writes something about somebody which is not correct or is infactual, he has a right of rejoinder. Because the constitution or the framers of constitution believe that journalists in their work or people in their work may not have a credible source or their source will mislead them. And while they are misled, they have a right of rejoinder. Secondly, if the person has been, his feeling has been injured, a remedy for it is to go and say that this is a defamation. It was done with malicious intent. But seeing it becoming every time is a criminal matter, a source of worry. And that's the only comment I can make for now. The issue of defamation is a very difficult one to defend, isn't it? And indeed, it's for journalists, not necessarily CSOs. Is that a defense you're going to put up? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. That is a civil remedy. What I'm saying is that if news, our journalists go and they have their sources, or their sources mislead them. It has not become a criminal matter. That's all the distinction I want to draw. That the remedy that the law gives to people whose feelings have been injured is a defamation, which is a civil matter. Or you have a right of rejoinder, which is guaranteed by our Constitution. That is what I'm drawing the distinction. But so, so, you're, so you're suggesting that the persons who are interested in this case should have filed a civil suit and not call the police in to arrest your client. Exactly, that is. Because if you do that, you keep doing that, then the right of criticism for every citizen to criticize and hold our people accountable in society, those democratic credentials are eroding because we are now using criminal matters to show that you no, know, when you speak or you get it wrong from your source, which honestly you come back to apologize and say that I got it wrong.
And this is not saying that I won't apologize and say that I did not get it wrong. I got it wrong. My source misled me. And that's becoming criminal matter is what I'm saying. But the freedoms you've mentioned in the Constitution come with responsibilities. And if any Tom, Dick and Harry can go ahead and make a publication only to come up and say that it was a mistake, people's reputations are going to be injured and that will be problematic for them, don't you think? You're, you're suggesting that people should be allowed because we're trying to hold uh, state officials accountable and so on. Uh, any no, mad no, that, at all can be thrown at people. That, that would not be so good, would it? No, no. That, that, that is why the Constitution has granted you a right of rejoinder and to, to issue or mount an action of defamation. But, but, but the Constitution training. was interested in the media. If you look at the articles you've mentioned, yes. that, that, yes. that's the media. Mr. Mensah Thompson is not a journalist, to the best of my knowledge. Oh, Mr. He is into the civil society organization. And what is the duty of the civil society organization? Right. So that, that is what they are doing. And I'm saying that it lies in the right of everybody to take and what the points I'm making is that what is more responsible of a person who commits or who gets it wrong and come back and say, sorry, I am wrong. I didn't get it right. It, it makes you a responsible person for a person to come back and say, sorry. I have committed a blunder. That presupposes that order. that presupposes your client to be pleading guilty tomorrow. No, 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 not at all. That does not mean that we will plead guilty to that because we have never published any uh, news. We have published the news. There was pandemonium, uh, uh, or there was confusion, breach of the peace of this country. There has never been that. There are elements in every criminal. Uh, uh, crime. Every crime, there are elements. Those elements must be proved. So it's not that we just go and say we are. Listen, it comes if it was defamation, we will apologize and say this is what we have to do. But in criminal matters, it's a different ballgame. Because uh, you've mentioned Article 164, it's fair to read it to our listeners and ask your comment. It says the provisions of Article 162 and 163 of the Constitution are subject to laws that are reasonably required in the interest of national security, public order, public morality, and for the purpose of protecting the reputations, rights, and freedoms of other persons. Yes. So that is why it says it's subject to Chapter 5. That is the fundamental human right of everybody. So when it is subject to that, and you come to the fundamental human right, anybody who infringes on your right or violates your right as a person, that's what I'm saying, that it lies in the realms of defamation. But now when we are using criminal matters to say it is a criminal matter, then that is where I have a little difficulty to understand. I'm not saying that um, if it is said, the media or any other person, that that person cannot be held responsible or they should not be responsible. They will have to be responsible. And I'm saying that if a person can come and say sorry for a blunder that is committed, it tells you that that person is responsible. Very well. Let's leave it here for now. Thank you so much for speaking to it's us. It's a pleasure. That's Victor Kojuga Adawudu. He is a lawyer for Mensah Thompson of ASEPA, who is currently 
uh, cooling off in the police station or a police cell at Teshi where he'll be spending the night and appearing before the uh, Kanishi District Court tomorrow. Uh, this is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTM. Let us know what you make of this piece of news. 0549-986-996. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back. Let's do some more stories. President Akufuado has directed that the appointment of Mr. Yao Kwakwa as the managing director of the Ghana Airports Company Limited be terminated. Although the letter did not state the reason for his dismissal, it is suspected to be as a result of the current Magdan Aviation tussle. Meanwhile, the managing director of the Ghana Airports Company Limited, Yao Kwakwa, says he has not received any formal notice indicating the termination of his appointment. He spoke to the Parliamentary Press Corps on the matter. Your reaction to this? Does this come to your attention first of all? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, my appointment has not been terminated, so if you have a fresh day, if you're please, let's, uh, let's, let's you please, you can Will you be surprised if that's the case, though? Um, I don't oh, know about it. So oh, we, uh, yeah, when I get it, yeah, exactly. When I get to that bridge, I'll cross it. But, but we have just cited the, that. Of course, you conducted the MPs around. They've expressed their satisfaction. The assurance that. The operations will resume as soon as possible. It doesn't seem to go down well with all the members of parliament. But of course, we've talked about the fact that you have the checklist. Yeah. You have another meeting with Magdan. How confident, you have another meeting scheduled with Magdan uh-huh. Aviation. Uh-huh. How confident are you that these checklists will all be marked and then declarance will be given? No, I'm confident that um, they will be able to meet all the requirements that we have identified. So, uh, uh, that is it. So far, there's some cooperation. We've agreed on the issues. We've listed all of them. We've listed all of them. Uh, we said it to the, the committee and we showed them what we are talking about. And, and they are real issues. We need approval for, uh, for anything that you do in our sector. We showed them. We demonstrated it with uh, aviation standards. And so, Magdan having accepted them and taking steps as we speak to resolve them, I think um, they, they will do it. Example, the strategies that are out there, they did not seek approval. Yesterday, when admitted, by close of day, they brought in application to seek for, to to regularize. So what the company will do is that we will assess each one of them and respond to them. Yao Kwakwa is the managing director of the Ghana Airports Company Limited. Confirming the dismissal, however, the Deputy Minister for Transport, Hassan Tampuli, said Mr. Kwakwa has not been informed officially because internal processes must be satisfied first before he is informed. Hassan Tampuli spoke to the press in Parliament. There is a company, so it's regulated under the Companies Act. So the letter is written to the board chairman. And the board chairman will now convene a board meeting at which um, the, all the necessary steps will be undertaken pursuant to the company's acts. So it's confirmed. But why is he being dismissed? 
Have you cited a copy of his appointment letter? The appointment letter doesn't say why he was appointed. I don't know why he stated why he has been relieved of his position. There's word, there's word around that this is because of the tassel over the facility we want to inspect today with the parliamentary telecom of which you were there. When we put the question to you there and himself, he said he was not aware. Did you see that in the letter? It's not in the letter, but a lot of things happen. This is governance. Yes, so the president has the prerogative to appoint and has the prerogative to relieve of the people of their positions. When the president is appointing, he doesn't give reasons. And by the same parity of reason, the president doesn't give reasons when he's relieving people of their positions. So this is something that has been going on in this country, not today. So nothing has changed. Some say he has paid the ultimate price with his job for ensuring that the right thing is done. These are matters in the, in the realms of conjecture. I'm not sure that is stated in the letter. So it is mere conjecture, I believe. That is your own assumption. Hassan Tampuli is Deputy Minister for Transport. And the letter he's referencing there is dated 4th February 2022 and is signed Kweku Siama, Honorable Minister, Ministry of Transport, and is titled Termination of Appointment of Managing Director of Ghana Airports Company Limited and is addressed to the board chair, Ghana Airport Company Limited, Accra. And the letter reads, it's a three-paragraph letter, which says, His Excellency, the President of the Republic, per letter number dated 31st January 2022, has directed that the appointment of Mr. Yao Kwakwa as the Managing Director of the Ghana Airport Company Limited be terminated. In this regard, kindly take the necessary steps to give effect to the directive. I count on your cooperation. So that's a simple letter that has fired... The man in this letter emerged at a time that he was leading members of the Parliamentary Committee on Transport, which had gone to the airport to inspect the terminal, which is under controversy now. It was at that venue that journalists with the press corps, including our own Duke Mensah Opoku, put the question to him and said, Sir, do you know you have no job as we speak? And he said he was not aware of a letter. And, well, a few hours on, we have the confirmation from the deputy minister who at the time as well had said he had no knowledge of it. And I'm referring to the Gushao member of parliament and deputy minister for transport, Honorable Hassan Tampoli. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's go to some other stories now. And uh, Kwesin, James Jachikwesin is a member of parliament for Asin North. At least that was what the EC declared on December 7 or 8 or 9th in 2020. Today, we are not even sure how to describe him, whether he's a member of parliament or not. But let me read for you a statement issued by the minority leader, Haruna Idrisu. And it says, The minority group in parliament wishes to draw your attention to the bizarre and worrying development orchestrated by the desperate NPP government to unseat the duly elected member of parliament for Asin North, the Honorable James Jachi Kwesin. It must be noted that during the sitting of the House yesterday, Tuesday, 8 February 2022, it emerged that a bailiff from the registry of the Supreme Court had made an attempt to effect service of a court process on the Honorable James Jachikwesin in his office in Parliament. This is the first time in the history of Ghana that such a flagrant disregard of the privileges of Parliament and breach of the Constitution has taken place. We in the minority are deeply concerned by that blatantly unconstitutional act which was recognized by the Supreme Court for what it is, a brazen violation of the Constitution. We applaud the justices of the Supreme Court for upholding the fidelity of the law 
by pointing out to the desperate lawyers of the MPP the brazenly unconstitutional nature of the attempt to serve a sitting MP on the presence of Parliament. We urge the court to continue to uphold the sanctity of the Constitution. We are also aware that the said bailiff of the Supreme Court Registry is alleged to have informed the court that he was assaulted by the police escort of the Honorable Member for Asin North. We wish to emphasize that the Honorable Member for Asin North, Honorable James Jachi Christen, does not have a police guard, let alone a police escort, to prevent service. This fact can be cross-checked from the Ghana Police Service. It is clear that in their desperate attempt to implicate the Honorable Member in acts of criminality, the NPP lawyers are now seeking to concord facts to justify criminal charges against the Honorable Member. This is a sad development for our democracy and we wish to condemn it in no uncertain terms. We thank you for your attention. Signed, Minority Leader. Now, this is Minority Group in Parliament response to the constitution, unconstitutional attempt to serve criminal process on the Member of Parliament for Asin North, Honorable James Jachi Kwesin. This seems and looks like a letter. I'm not sure who exactly the Minority Leader has signed and addressed this to, uh, but that is the content I've just shared with you. Now, there are several legal uh, processes um, around this particular issue of uh, James Jachi Kwesin, and I will be helping you make sense of them in the coming days and even tonight on Eyewitness News. But let's return to the Ghana Airports Company and the firing of uh, Mr. Yaokwakwa as the Managing Director. Honorable Hassan Tampoli is Member of Parliament for Gushao in the Northern Region and Deputy Minister for Transport. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, I noticed that at the, at the time you were inspecting the airport, um, you had no knowledge of this um, sacking because when a journalist put the question to you, you said you did not know about it. Subsequently, though, uh, you got information. Do you want to share some more light with us uh, on what you know in relation to this sacking of the MD of the airport company who was working as of the time he was fired? Thank you very much, Umaru. Good evening. Uh, good evening to your listeners. I don't remember saying I was not aware. I said the reason for our being at the uh, terminal was to assist the committee to see at first hand what the situation is and for them to be able to see what exactly resulted in the impasse between Ghana Airport Company Limited and Magdan Aviation. So let's concentrate on the core reason why we were there and not, you know, let this matter be the reason why uh, we should be having that conversation. Okay, so that would mean that chances are that you knew about it, but it wasn't the focus of the discussion at the time, so you didn't think you should share that information until further notice. Rightly so. And and if you see uh, the letter that was written and that was that's been that's in circulation in the public was addressed to the chairman of the board. The letter was not addressed to the chief executive or the managing director. So it stands to reason that it's very, very possible that the managing director as at that time had not cited a copy of the letter. So he when he also said was not aware really was truthful that he wasn't aware because he hasn't been officially written to So that is the situation. You have explained that the president's hiring and firing is um, 
is discretionary and he owes no one an explanation for doing what he did. But surely when this is happening in the midst of all the controversy around Magdan, um, it is only fair that people would infer that that is the reason. And like Duke put it to you, he sacrificed or, or he paid the ultimate price by losing his job uh, because maybe some elements within the government were not happy with what was happening. Do you not think that government should be clearer in this case in particular? Yes, um, as far as I'm concerned, government being clearer in this matter is neither here nor there. The reason for for which the managing director was being relieved of his position was not stated in the letter. And you and I are aware that in most instances, even not just within our jurisdiction, when the president makes such appointment, hardly gives reason for the appointment. And when those appointments are being revoked, hardly do we hear that the president has decided that I'm relieving this person or that person of his position because of so so and so reason. And that prerogative rests solely within uh, the remit of the president. And Anything that we say really and truly is going to be about second guessing the president. And so in almost an exercise in futility if we insist that we should know the reason why a decision has been made. Everything is left in the reins of conjecture. I, I do understand that. But I'm just saying that in this particular instance, it should be something that the, the, the government ought to be clearer because you just can't dismiss someone who, as of the time he was even being dismissed, was working. And we know the controversy around it. You do not think that despite all the prerogatives that the president can exercise, in this particular instance, an explanation would suffice? That's your, that's your view on the, what should likely be the situation. But, um, I believe that um, the, the, the president on this occasion has not found it uh, necessary to do so. All right, let's talk about what your committee went to do. Uh, but before then, now that he has been told to step aside, um, it means there's a vacancy there, or this will go through some process before he's removed? As, as you know, Ghana Airport is, is a company limited by shares, and the government is the sole shareholder. So there's a procedure that, has, that is going to be triggered. So if you look at the uh, content of the letter the minister has written to the board. So the board is going to now go through the process and then um, activate the process of removal or termination of the, of the managing director. All right. Let's talk about what your committee went to see today. Why did you go there? What did you find to the airport? So for the records, I'm not a member of the Transport and Rules and Transport Committee. I went there in my capacity as deputy minister in the state of my minister. And this is a follow-up to a meeting that was held last week um, at the instance of the Rules and Transport Committee, where the committee invited the ministry to speak to the letters that, was, uh, that, uh, the letters that were in circulation from Magdan Aviation and for Ghana Airport Company Limited for some clarity to be brought to the issues so that the committee will be able to make an informed decision as to what is taking place. So today's meeting is a follow-up to that meeting, so that the members of the committee will move to the locus 
see whether indeed McDonald Aviation has satisfied all the preconditions necessary for them to be able to operate as a concessionaire at the Terminal 1. So that is the reason why the committee, you know, moved uh, itself to go to that uh, terminal. Okay, so you were there with you were there with the committee um, together at the same time, even though you are not a member of the committee. So I was there on behalf of the minister. Okay, were you satisfied with the answers that were given to you? Well, the the answers were meant for the members of the committee. Did they give you any impression of what they had? What their impression was? Well, I believe your reporters were there, and from if I can descend from uh, their reaction to what they saw, I believe very strongly that they were satisfied um, with what has been done. Okay. And they are even looking forward to an expeditious process of reopening the terminal for business. The private terminal? Not so. Do we have an indication as to how soon that private terminal will be open? We saw communication suggesting it was going to take more than two years for McDonald to regularize. Um, is that information accurate or wrong? Yes. Somebody said, somebody at the last meeting, a question was posed, and the reaction from the representative from the Ghana Civil Aviation Authority was that it is not something that can be said that we will do it within one month or six months, or it can even take as far as two years. Depending on how responsive McDonald Aviation is going to be, as far as the provision of information uh, that they need to be able to process this, this So that is what was said. It was not said that it's going to take two years. It may take one week. It may take even a couple of days. But that final decision rests with the Ghana Civil Aviation Authority. If they are able to form an opinion that Magan uh, uh, Aviation Terminal uh, has met all the requirements necessary for the grant of a permit to operate, so be it. And I believe the process will kickstart and the Magan Aviation will be business back. You are at the ministry. We know that the airport is a security zone, and yet... McDan did all what he had to do, including bringing invitation letters and inviting media personnel and so on. The event, event was scheduled to take off, only for it to be cancelled at the 11th hour. Exactly what is the problem? Because persons who support McDan say that he's being discriminated against and that there are forces that are trying to prevent him from doing business and there's a local company that should be allowed to do the campaign. Exactly what's the position of the Ministry of Transport? The Ministry of Transport was in copy in the letters that exchanged between Ghana, Ghana Aviation and Ghana Airport Company Limited. And what Ghana Airport Company Limited said was that Magdan has met all the requirements. That is one. But they said that in terms of operationalization of the security protocols, they found lapses in the arrangement that was done a day prior to the uh, inauguration of the terminal. And so they, on the basis of that, realized that it was necessary for the program to be postponed, for the parties to sit down, and for the Ghana Effort Company to assure itself that Magana Aviation has imbibed the training regime, especially with the safety and security that has been given to them. 
But what they saw, as far as the, in front of the terminal, seeing cars parked about 30 or so cars, that was not in accord with the best practice in the civil aviation industry. So that is the reason why the port company said that let's postpone this thing so that we satisfy ourselves that our concessionaire is able to work within the limits of what is prescribed under the civil aviation regime. That, so basically, that was the reason. That sounds like the only crime of Magdan was to hold a public ceremony at the airport and that everything else was correct and okay. I'm, I'm not able to, to confirm that. No, because that's a suggestion I'm getting from what you've just explained to me. Well, I'm, I'm sure that is, that, that is how you choose to put it. But the way I have explained to you is what it is and as it was on the paper. Very well. A lawyer has sent a question, and since you're a lawyer, let me just put it to you, and if you can answer, that would be fine. It says, that can the president sack the MD of the company, and I'm referring to airport company, before the board takes a decision? Is this good corporate governance? The, the president has not sacked the MD of the company. The president has directed as the shareholder for the shareholder to take a decision on the managing director. The managing director of the company can be dismissed, he can be terminated. But as a director, there is a procedure that has to be followed for the director to be removed. But as a managing director, simplicity, the managing director can be removed under the, uh, the, the company's code. The, the president appointed the board chairman of the airport company, and the letter says the president has directed that the appointment be terminated. You are, you are, you are, you are an appointee of, of the president. Are you saying to me that if the president wrote to you and said, I want you to terminate someone, you are going to say, Mr. President, I'm not going to do it? Like, but the president is a lawyer, and the president is a champion of rule of law. The president has written that letter. He is also mindful of the procedure, the procedure under the company's act. So if the president was going to terminate, the president would have just terminated directly. But if you have seen what has happened, the president wrote to the minister. The minister wrote to the board. And now the board is going through the process. All right. Let's... Do you see the difference? <laughs> no, no, I actually see it as the same it, chain. It is, not, it is not like any chief executive position. Do you, do you see what I mean? If it was any other agency, any other institution that is not a company, the procedure for termination of the MD's appointment would have been different from this. This, the letter was written to the board chairman, and the board chairman is now going to convene a meeting of the board, which has been that, uh, commenced today, and the process is going to you know, un un unfold in the coming days. Very well. Uh, let's leave it here for now. Thank you so much uh, for your time, sir. You're most welcome. You're most welcome. That's Honorable uh, Hassan Tampuli. He's a uh, Gushao Member of Parliament and also Deputy Minister for Transport. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. He was at the airport today, but not as a respondent or an observer of the proceedings, but an interested party. Let's hear from persons who uh, went there to see the work of the House of of um, not the work, but the, not the not the House of Parliament, rather the work of the company, the Azagana Airports Company, the Parliamentary Select Committee on Roads and Transport, was there today. One of the MPs represents the people of Ayawaso North, 
Uh, Yusuf Jaja is his name. He joins us on the line. Honorable Jaja, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Um, you made inquiries. You were invited to come and look. You went to see. What did you see and are you impressed? Yeah, first of all, good evening and good evening to your cherished listeners. Yes, we were at uh, Ghana Airport Company Limited today, uh, specifically Terminal uh, 1 on Fodabata uh, Matan Private Jet Terminal. We were there to access last two weeks. We met the Ghana Airport Company together with uh, uh, Ghana Civilization and the Ministry. So yesterday we, uh, we planned then to come and have a look at the terminal by ourselves. Thank God today we were there and a lot of things were revealed. And I think we are almost halfway through with regards to the operation of the terminal. Okay. Based on the explanations given to you, uh, did these explanations make sense to you? Uh, the reason that the termination happened? Uh, to be frank with you, we don't need to doubt Ghana Airport or Ghana Civilization. They said the issues are technical and then financial. Today, we try to inquire what are the technical issues. They've made mention of signage or the billboard where they have placed them. And I think that's the main indeed mentioned, so which is technical, of course. So we ask them the way forward to it. Thank God, McDonald Aviation Industry have gone to meet with the Ghana Airport Company and Ghana Civilization to see the way forward to that, and that they are in discussions to regularize the signage or the billboard that is there. So technically, or with regard the technical aspect, I think we are almost true. But the second one has to do with the financial which they mentioned. So the financial one, uh, I think it's a fee that needs to be agreed by both parties. And it's something they are now discussing on a debt, which I know very soon it will be over. Once it is over, Madan will have to do that commitment or by paying. And if that is done, I think uh, I think operation of the terminal will have to commence this. That has nothing to do with the private debt. With regards to the private jet, we also try to inquire. Uh, they said they have also renewed the license for the private jet for the next 90 days again. So this is by and all, we just try to find out when are they going to start operation of the terminal. And we're told by both the deputy minister, you just ask, and the Ghana Airport Company, MD, the, the, the former Ghana Company Limited, Ghana Airport Company Limited, MD. But very soon, we try to ask them how soon is very soon. So technically, I know when those technical and the financial issues are met, the McDonald Private Jet Terminal will be in full operation. Do you have any idea what what the period would be? Because um, the the work, the figure we're working with, or the duration the we're working with last week was about the two technical years. aspect. Uh, what they told us as to the signage or the billboard should not even take about two, three days. Even one meeting, you should be done with it. We want this one here, we want this one here. Or they remove this, or you have to pay for this and then this and that's all. I don't think it will even have to take one day or even two days. One day set over it, it should be over. That's the technical aspect, which they only mentioned the billboard to us. And to be frank with you, I thought initially when they made mention of technical, it would have been something, some, something, more than the billboards we were told. So we were reduced to only the billboards. So let's stay to that. And they told us, my son, 
met them. I know by the second meeting they will have been done what what they signed it. But it's the financial aspect that they first need to agree at an at a fee. Once they agree, they both agree and the payment is done, then the commercial operations will have to commence. How soon should we expect the operations to begin? And this week, as you have been asking the deputy minister or the former MD for Ghana Airport, we were rather pushing them. In any case, this is something that we can't just leave the terminal over there. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's a state-of-the-art terminal or private terminal that that I have never seen, let me say, in the world. This is my first time I've seen such uh, a launch. So we can't have such uh, a beautiful edifice, live it that way without any use of it. Mind you, the person also spent money to put it in shape. So the technical and the financial aspect should be sorted so that things can move on. Very well. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much, Mabela. That's the Honorable Yusuf uh, Jaja uh, speaking to us there. He's a member of the Parliamentary Select Committee on Road and Transport and also MP for Ayawaso North. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. We'll be back with more. Don't go away. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 City FM. Let's do some more stories. The Coalition for Public Health and Justice says it will sue government institutions enforcing the no-vaccination, no-entry policy. The group says it is an infringement on human rights to compel anyone to take a vaccine against their will. The group had previously petitioned President Akufuado to rescind his decision to make the COVID-19 vaccination compulsory. They say governments should not bank its hopes on the vaccines since there are many unanswered questions in terms of its efficacy and safety. Reverend Bright Albright is one of the leaders. We have a definite purpose. Number one, to promote respect for health rights and justice for all persons in Ghana. Number two, to ensure strict adherence to sound public health regulations. Number three, to propagate credible scientific information about COVID-19 and other public health matters. And our purpose here today is to address the illegal COVID-19 mandate rollout in Ghana. We are also filing a lawsuit against the various state institutions that have made the vaccine mandatory in their respective institutions. Reverend Bright Albright is a member of the Coalition for Public Health and Justice. Meanwhile, the Director General of the Ghana Health Service, Dr. Patrick Kumabwaje, says government does not see an urgent need to enforce the mandate of the no vaccination, no entry at public places yet, as more persons are getting vaccinated. On the issue of mandates, the minister said uh, we'll give you update. And the excellence of what we have been doing with the vaccine um, 
NIDs and the month of vaccination, etc., we're all towards getting more people vaccinated. So, uh, announcement and its implementation will be based mainly on how people uptake the vaccine. In December, we've recorded about 3 million doses as a fasting month. We normally do about uh, 1.52 million a month, but we got about 3 million. In the last five days, as of Sunday, we had done about 1.5 million doses in five days, and we have extended because we had a target of 2.5 million doses. We will have been, so based on all that, the minister will decide whether it is time to come up with the mandate that will ensure that more people get vaccinated. But as more people are vaccinating voluntarily, I don't think there's any rush to do that. Director of the Ghana Health Service, Dr. Patrick Kumabwaji. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's do some sports before business. And the breaking news story is that we have a national coach again. Fentio Tahiru Fentio is head of sports. You're welcome to Fentio. Uh, Hi. To Eyewitness News. Thank uh, you. Sorry, sorry about that. I'm here we have okay. a new Black Stars coach. That's right. Um, the new Black Stars uh, technical team that's been constituted uh, have a specific task, and that task is for the Ghana versus Nigeria game. So we can report, and it's official, the GFA have released a statement to that regard. Chris Heating, who was highly uh, tipped to take over the Black Stars job, is now going to play the role of technical advisor. Uh, to the Ghana Football Association or to the technical team that will handle the Ghana versus Nigeria World Cup qualifying playoff match. Now, that technical team will be headed by Otoado. So, Otoado is going to be the head coach for the Black Stars for those two matches against Nigeria. And in that period, for those two matches, uh, Chris Hilton will provide technical advice. And then there will be two assistant coaches, according to the GFA. Masu Didi Dramani, he works with Right Dream Academy now. He's the head of football development there. Uh, he is a former quarter coach. He won two uh, Premier League titles with them. He will be one of the assistants. The other assistant will be George Boateng, a former uh, Netherlands international. Now he's in charge of the Aston Villa under 23. He's of Ghanaian descent, of course, but he played for the Dutch national team. So that's the five-member technical team that's been put in place for that match against Nigeria. Two of them. The first one in Cape Coast on March 24, the return leg in Abuja on March 27 for a place in Qatar 2022. So the, the statement is very specific. This is not a long-term arrangement, and we don't know who will have the job after those two matches. But for now, this team that's been put together, they have only a specific task, and that's for the two matches against Nigeria. Nothing has been said beyond that. Give us a list again from top to bottom. Chris Hilton will serve no, as technical from top advisor. To bottom, who is senior most in this yes, in that's the, what in terms of said. ranking? Chris Hilton will serve as technical advisor. In other words, he will to not to be the on GFA the bench. Or to the, to the, to He's the, advising to the, the technical team. Okay. So, in other words, he will not be on the bench okay. on that day. Okay. The man that will be on the bench on that day will be Otto Ado. Okay. And he will be assisted by two others, George Boateng and uh, a certain uh, Masu Didi Dramani. So, that's so four this, of them. There's four of them, exactly. Now, you have also said that this is not a permanent contract. This it is not a permanent arrangement. This is connected only to the game against Nigeria. Yes, and the last, yes, the last p 
part of the statement says the four-man team has been put together to take charge of the two matches against rivals Nigeria. The Black Stars will take on the Super Eagles in Cape Coast on March 24, and then it goes on. But so, they have not said whether they are, they are, the signing of a firmer contract with them will be dependent on the success or that's otherwise. That's not also stated. Uh, but it's I, silent, isn't it? It is silent on that. So, but um, I'm saying that it's implied that, I mean, of course, you have to prove your worth. And again, if we don't qualify for the, black, the World Cup, really, then what are you going to be coaching? That's the whole point. But then that's where I think a lot of people have issues because at the moment, everybody believes that it's important for us to look at the, the short term as well as the long term. So this satisfies so the short term? It does satisfy the, the short term. But it says nothing about can, the long this, term. These same people can be spread over for the long term if they perform. It can be. Mm. The problem, though, is that these people will come at the... Uh, at a very expensive cost, if you like. Explain. Because uh, now Chris Huthing has said that if he wants to become the Black Stars coach, he needs to come with his own technical team, his own backroom staff. Okay. So there is that arrangement. And Which then means he's not coming here to work with Otoado and, and Co. That is not his preferred option. He has his team A. Exactly. Okay. And then Otoado himself is still contracted to Borussia Dortmund, the club that he originally works for, the club that refused to release him to go to the Africa Cup of Nations when indeed he was the assistant coach for the Black Stars. So he was not in Cameroon because Dortmund said they would not let him go to Cameroon. And that's because the GFA didn't have a contract with him as assistant coach. Otherwise, he would have had to quit his role from uh, at Dortmund. He didn't do that. And that's what uh, the current arrangement also looks like. So if they have to stay on at the end of this particular match, then they would have to be looking at uh, signing Chris Hilton and paying him his $100,000 a month. That's and what they, he's asking for? That's what we are, we understand he's asking for. Okay. Then they will have to get Otoado out of contract at Borussia Dortmund and then pay him huge amount of money. Now, he's head coach for this game, and that's why it doesn't also... Uh, it also makes things a bit complicated because he's head coach for this match or these two matches. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine that after... Uh, the technical advisor is made the head coach, and then he now has to come and be the assistant. That, that's a bit complex, isn't it? It's quite But you have already explained that the technical advisor is technically senior to the Exactly. Coach. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a problem if the technical becomes the main coach now, and Otuado just acts as number two, and then Didi Dramani and the other gentleman you've mentioned, they become maybe George second or third. Yeah. I think that would work. My only difficulty, though, is that if we are headed to Cape Coast, to face Nigeria, and Dortmund says to Otuado that uh, we need you to come because we have something to do here. Where is he going to really be? Because we want him to <laughs> be, be concentrating fully on our black stars, yes. and yet he has his eye in a different bottle somewhere else in Europe. Yes, that could very well complicate things, but I think that's why the GFA went to Germany. Kett was in Germany with uh, another former international. Uh, so there's a possibility that they've released him temporarily yes, to so us. they went to speak to Borussia Dortmund for that particular arrangement uh, to be confirmed. And because it's going to be during the international break, there's very little that's happening okay. at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, so he will definitely be allowed to come. But, but important point, they are all Ghanaians. They are all Ghanaians in and, some way or and, form. And that's what many people wanted, especially since in we've some seen way what Senegal has done. Although two of them technically are not... 
uh, Ghanaian nationals. But do they have dreadlocks, though, like the Senegalese coach? None of them lost. <laughs> That's Fenty Tahiri Fenty of the City Sports Desk. Up next, Scholastica Netili Neti will be bringing us the latest in the world of business. And then on point blank, my guest is George Opariado, known as Pablo. He's the national president of the NDC Youth Wing. They have a demonstration for tomorrow. We'll find out what they are asking the government to do. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, brought to you by Vodafone and powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Nettie. Let's settle for the details. Significant increases in prices associated with housing, water, electricity, gas and other fuels have pushed the national year-on-year inflation, which is from January 2021 to January 2022, to 13.9%. The rate is a 1.3 percentage points higher than the 12.6% recorded in December 2021. The rise in the inflation rate for January 2022 is the highest recorded since the Ghana Statistical Service rebased the Consumer Price Index in August 2019. Government statistician Professor Samuel Kobnenim, speaking to the media, highlighted the impact that the increases in the core influences had on the overall inflation rate for the first month of 2022. Between January 2021 and January 2022, prices of goods and services went up by 13.9%. On a month-on-month basis, between December 2021 and January 2022, prices of goods and services went up by 2.1%. Housing and transport remain the two divisions that record inflation rates higher than the national average of 13.9%, specifically with housing, water, electricity and gas recording an inflation figure of 28.7%, which is more than twice the national figure of 13.9%, and transport recording an inflation figure of 17.4%. The contribution of water, housing, water, electricity and gas was dominant as it rose by 4.6 percentage points between December 2021 and January 2022, specifically increasing from 17.5% for December 2021 to 22.1% for January 2022. That was the government statistician Professor Samuel Kobnainim. The African Peer Review Mechanism, an autonomous entity of the African Union that supports African countries in the area of credit ratings, has denounced the recent downgrade of Ghana's rating by international agency Moody's from B3 to CAA1. With a stable outlook, the debt downgrade, which the APRM says threatens Ghana's debt sustainability efforts, follows a similar action taken by Ghana's Ministry of Finance against Moody's. The News Desk report has more. The downgrade by Moody's, which follows a similar one by Fitch, has led to major discussions about Ghana's debt levels, its ability to raise enough revenue and ability to assess the international capital markets. In reaction to the downgrades, especially the one by Moody's, the finance ministry said it was puzzled by the action and went on to state its concern over the lead analyst on Ghana at Moody's, Ms. Lucy Villa. According to government, Ms. Villa may not properly understand and even 
reevaluate Ghana's deepening credit story since obtaining its first credit rating back in 2003 and added that she also has not visited Ghana since assuming her role in January and as such, the downgrade at this critical time was based entirely on a desktop exercise. Virtual discussions between 28th January to 3rd February 2022 and what the finance ministry believes to be the omission of critical data provided. In their press release, the Africa Peer Review Mechanism said it supports and corroborates the observations made by the Ghana government, which highlights significant fundamentals that contradict the downgrade action by Moody's. The APRM added that Ghana is one of the major economies in Africa and the second largest in West Africa. Hence, assigning one primary analyst to assess Ghana significantly enhances the probability of negative analyst biases. According to the autonomous entity, taking such a major rating decision that threatens debt sustainability of the country should be treated with seriousness and noted that rejecting the appeal by the government of Ghana is evident of the unregulated and irresponsible use of power by international credit rating agencies. The APRM went on to recommend a number of things including but not limited to a review by Moody's of the appeal by the government of Ghana. They also called on Moody's to ensure sufficient analyst presence in Ghana through field visits to fully understand and evaluate Ghana's economic and political environment. That was a news desk report. The Workers' Union of the Ghana Airports Company Limited say they are yet to receive official communication on the dismissal of the managing director of the company. President Akufuado has directed that the appointment of Yao Kwakwa as the managing director of the Ghana Airports Company Limited be terminated. The Minister of Transport, Kweku Furie Siyama, in a letter to the board chairman of the Ghana Airport Company, instructed the company to take the necessary steps to give effect to the directive. The Workers' Union has for about two years now called for the termination of the appointment of the managing director over claims of gross mismanagement and abuse of office by him and the board of the state airport company, but to no avail. John Sampa is the Deputy General Secretary of the Public Services Workers' Union of the Trades Union Congress, and he's been speaking to City Business News following the latest development. We don't have official communication with respect to the termination of the managing director. We have also had rumors, and we don't really work with rumors. We will want official communication then we can make our position very clear as a divisional union. I wouldn't want to preempt, but the point is that for almost three years now, the workers' leadership has raised a number of red flags and the fact that certain things were not going on well. And at a point in time, has even called for the termination of the appointment of the managing director. Some way, somehow, the appointing authority did not accept it. We have had a series of meetings, and the last one was actually uh, with the chief of staff, where certain directives were given. And we were all urged in the interest of Madagana to coexist and to make sure that we cooperate with management. And since then, we have been very responsible in that, and we have been with management. If today, if the rumors you have heard, and we have also heard, is anything to go by, and it is true that the person has been relieved of the position, what should we say? It is the same person who gives him the privilege to serve his country. That thing that it is time for him to go. We are yet to meet to have a position, but I don't think that the workers' leadership will have anything negative to say about it. That was the Deputy General Secretary of the Public Services Workers' Union of the Trades Union Congress, John Sampa.
The Ghana Tourism Authority is optimistic that this year's National Chocolate Week will make chocolate tourism a key feature of its product offerings. According to the CEO of the authority, Akwesia Jiman, his outfit's partnership with the Ghana Cocoa Board in this week's celebration is aimed at boosting the consumption of cocoa and cocoa products among locals and foreigners alike to push the tourism sector which has suffered at the hands of the COVID-19 pandemic. He spoke to City Business News on the sidelines of the opening of this year's Chocolate City in Accra. We believe that the collaboration between the tourism authority and Cocoa Board will lead to increased consumption of cocoa-based products, especially in our hospitality facilities. And once we're able to do that, then local productions will go on more, and that will also lead to jobs. And then the, the farmers will also be able to produce more. So the entire value chain stands to benefit from this partnership. And so far, we are also keen to make chocolate tourism a key feature of our product offerings. And so if you go to the Tetequasi Cocoa Farm, we have built a new museum, and we are going to expand it to ensure that people who come to Ghana are able to see that Ghana has cocoa and Ghana cocoa is one of the best in the world. Akwesi Ajiman is the CEO of the Ghana Tourism Authority. Meanwhile, the CEO of the Ghana Cocoa Board, Joseph Boahing Edu, has called for joint stakeholder participation in taking advantage of the celebrations to push the cocoa industry beyond the borders of Ghana. The collective efforts of stakeholders is imperative and is required to increase the consumption of cocoa locally. At the moment, consumption of cocoa is very low. We are just around uh, 0.53. When we compare ourselves to uh, Europe, uh, I know uh, Chris is here. Um, you know, when you go to Germany, Belgium, and other places, per capita is around um, 8 and six you know, kilos per person. Here in Ghana, we are still below one, we are, we are still around half, 0 0.53. We are far, far, far below. So there is a need for us to improve upon consumption of chocolates. That was the CEO of the Ghana Cocoa Board, Joseph Boahing Edu. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was brought to you by Vodafone and powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nete Lenete. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, my guest is Giorgio Pariado, also known as Pablo, the National Youth President of the National Democratic Congress, the party that is struggling in opposition. Pablo, you're welcome to Point Blank. <laughs> Thank you, Umaru. We are How? not struggling in opposition. You, oh, you're fine. Everything is fine. Better Ghana is working um, for you. We are, we are not struggling as a party because the party is properly organized, led by... Are you sure your people are in court? You are struggling, oh, in, you are in, fighting? In that respect, if you have a president called Nanado Dankwe Kufuado, <laughs> who does not play fair and will choose any approach that he deems necessary, mm. then I can understand you. Is it not just teaching you politics? You went to election, you're too no-all, you said you will not go and register for voters' card. 
you eventually had to go and do it. You went to court. You lost the election. You went to Supreme Court. They gave you seven nil, and now you are fighting for your MP. I mean, Charlie Jaka. Um, it's because of who the president of the republic is. All our institutions are being destroyed by him. Almost all our institutions are compromised, and so that is what you see right from the electoral commission. People have lost confidence in the country called Ghana. So it is not the NDC that is struggling. It is Ghana that has a bad president who is refusing to resource and make sure our real institutions work. Mm. But how is the NDC itself doing? The NDC is doing very well. Mm. It's in very good hands, and I can assure you that there are no problems whatsoever. You are planning to go on a demonstration tomorrow. Um, you into your demonstration, which means we will not pay, but your concerns are beyond payments, right? Yes. There are other issues. Share with us what, what has driven you to the road. Um, a lot of issues, Omaro. As it stands now, the average Ghanaian is suffering. And um, if you wake up in the morning and you cannot afford a day's meal, just one square meal a day, you are challenged. And so if, if you look around you and you listen to what people say, if you, you, you ask yourself, a bowl of kinky that in February was selling for one city, today is selling at two cities. Um, the currency has not been stable. Four prices, we don't know which one is going to break the eight first, whether the dollar is going to break the eight first or four prices is going to break the eight first. You cannot even plan as a business. Then you wake up one morning and you are told that the government that has not created jobs for you, the government that has not given you opportunities as a young person, the government that is refusing to pay lecturers, so school has reopened and students are home for almost five weeks, this same government now wants to tax your capital. You ask yourself, is this government serious? And why does the government want to tax capital? Umaru, you work with CTFM. I don't know a man, CTFM pays you, let's say, a thousand Ghana cities. Before that money is given to you, Samens will deduct his income tax for the states because that money goes to the states. And so what you earn becomes your salary, but it becomes your capital. Whatever you choose to do with it. So if Omaro decides that my thousand Ghana cities that he's been paid, or his thousand Ghana cities that he's been paid, he's going to put it in his pocket. The government cannot come and tax that money in his pocket. But on your way home, you'll be, you'll be met by some armed robber, and then he will decide to pull a gun on you and take the money from you. So you want to avoid that. So you go next to your office, and there is this mobile money operator there, and you decide to deposit your thousand Ghana cities on your e-wallet. Before you do that deposit, you are charged one point seven five. Your savings, your capital. No, I'm, I'm not sure there are charges on de depositing. Okay, so currently, when you deposit money, there are no. No, so no when, when 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 you you deposit that money and you choose to withdraw it mm. at a later date, you are going to pay one point seven five tomorrow. I'm not sure if you withdraw, you would be charged. I know if you transfer more than 100 cities in a day, you would be charged. Umaru, if you withdraw more than 200 Ghana cities, whichever way you do it, once it's an e-process, whether you transfer it, whether you withdraw it, you're still going to pay the 1.5. Granted, you're not even going to, you're not even going to pay the 1.5 on withdrawals. When you choose to send that money to your mom in the village, and ask her to buy medicine. And you're sending your mom, let's say, 120 Ghana cities. It doesn't mean you are rich. But you have a responsibility towards your mother. So if you choose to send 120 Ghana cities to your mom, government will take 1.75 off it. 
because the government tells you that anybody who earns, anybody who is more, who is able to send more than 100 Ghana cities a day is not poor, but that person is rich. Wrapped logically. And, and I keep asking myself, why would any government think like this of its citizens? <laughs> Two, today, government has reintroduced some levies on petroleum products that keeps pushing the price up. Already, you've not been able to fix the city. The city is struggling. And we all know the effect of the city on petroleum prices locally. What then do you do for your people? Because of your ineptitude, I don't have to suffer for you not doing your job. But government has not been able to fix the city. And so there is depreciation of the city and it affects fuel prices. And then you introduce taxes that you removed. The price recovery levies. We've been paying that levies God knows how long. Even in your government? Yes. You never removed yes. it when we, you were in yes. power? Yes, we never removed it. But you removed it because today, <laughs> during the NDC's time, fuel was not being sold at 34 cities per gallon. Today, a gallon of petrol is 34 cities. It's 7 cities, 50 pesos per liter. And once fuel prices are increased, it affects every aspect of the local economy. NAPCO workers, NAPCO beneficiaries, just before the elections, there were billboards all over the country. Remember me, remember me, remember me. One of the beneficiaries spoke at my press conference on Monday when the coalition decided to hold a press conference together. He said they were used to campaign. They were promised jobs. Now they are being asked to go home. Granted, two years is up. They should go home. Before the elections, their two years were up. You kept them there. You promised them that you're going to enroll them. They're supposed to be there for three years. Okay. Their three years ex expired last year. They expired last year. And the year. government re-engaged them and gave them another contract. And then now you say they should go home. No, they have been contracted. Oh, no, they've, they've been asked to go home. Didn't you, didn't you see the letter from the chieftaincy minister? No, but the minister spoke and said that was not accurate. But I didn't sign that letter. The minister signed that letter. Yeah, but he has clarified that matter. What we are working with is what the CEO of NAPCO, Ibrahim Anyas, has issued um, <laughs> and, and, in December last and year. And how about their salaries? Yeah, that, that, that is in arrears for Our seven months or so. Eight months. Yes. You've not paid them. And yet you are, you're asking them to go home. What I saw was a letter from, and one of them came to speak at our press conference. They are being asked to go home. So these are the issues that are confronting many young people. I have no problem. And let me emphasize that the NDC is not against government raising tax revenue to support the economy. That has not been our position. We are a social democratic party. We believe that taxes are part of the processes in which government will have to raise revenue. When we are in government, I remember President Mama speaking about a lot of people not paying enough tax. So we believe that the tax... Um, that the tax bracket should be widened for everybody else to be captured in so that everybody pays realistic taxes. But you cannot tax capital. And that is where we find ourselves with the e-levy. I agree that there is e-commerce. There are people who are trading. There are people who are selling. Find innovative ways of retrieving those monies. What the NPP is doing is they found the lowest hanging fruits. Let's tax mobile transactions. And the sad aspect is that they, they, they tend to raise revenue from an industry that can give them more when they set their parameters right. The number of businesses that takes place electronically, if the NPP is properly focused, if they deploy the right mechanisms, they should be able to rake in more revenue 
than resorting to this lazy man's approach. As it stands now, the economy is challenged, Omari. Whether we like it or not, we all agree. But 6 billion Ghana cities compared to 320 billion revenue that you've accrued over the last four years, it's not going to make any difference. But the reason they are going the E-Levy way is to make sure we don't go the IMF way, which is the way you went. And so if you don't want more debts, like you've just quoted over 300, you don't want more, more, more debts on our necks. You go the way that, the E-Levy way, so that it's not debt. You're just generating revenue there. Omar, I've heard this argument severally. Why is the NPP running away from the IMF? You always go to the IMF for money. You can go to the IMF for credibility purposes. Yeah, but right now it's money they need, not credibility. No, no. you see, the, the money they need, if the IMF is not even willing to give them, if they go to the IMF for credibility, they can borrow on the international market. Yeah, but they have borrowed enough. You have just mentioned 300 billion. You want but, them to... But, 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 them but to... even with, with E-Levy, with the 6 billion, if you look at the budget statement of 2022, they'll still have to go and borrow. Yeah, but if without the E-Levy, they will have to borrow more. And with the E-Levy, per their own projections, they will not get the 6 billion they intend to get because immediately they choose to pass or immediately that levy is passed. What, what is going to happen is that 25% of those, uh, of those transactions are going to go down. So they are not even going to get their 6 billion they are looking for. Yeah, but, but at least they will get something. Adomaro, why would you want to tax my capital? Double taxation. Yeah, so you want it to be, to be sanitized, not scrapped. You want them to no, tax... As, as it stands now. Mm -hmm. Interest. As it stands now, when they pass the E-Levy, capital will be affected. All we are asking them to do is that instead of looking for the easy way out, do some thinking. Are you saying that they should not do the E-Levy at all? Or now you are, at a, as a party, willing to negotiate and come to an agreement there on the no, percentage? There is no negotiations on E-Levy. The 1.75? There is no, with, with the current bill before Parliament. There is nothing we are going to negotiate on. If they said they were going to bring you to 1.5... If they decide to bring you to 0 0.1, we'll still not agree. 1.5, you will we not will agree? We will not agree. There was an earlier communication that your party leadership in parliament was interested in doing that. And then, and then what happened? Negotiations broke down. You are already campaigning in the House of Parliament. You have said that there should be discussions with your members. That discussion is happening. The finance ministry has been... Or finance minister has been engaging your party leaders in the House of Parliament. Why do you have to go on the road? Because it's like you are negotiating and also demonstrating. You can't do the two. That would be bad faith. They, no, bad faith is because of what the government is exhibiting. Umaro, when there is a case, you see, with electoral petitions in respect to parliamentary elections, the highest court of arbitration is the court of appeal. When the high court makes its orders, or when the high court comes out with its decisions, and you go to the court of appeal and you, you, you apply for or you, you apply for an appeal and you apply for a stay of execution. Processes are stored until the final determination of the matter. As I speak to you now, the case of the Asin of Member of Parliament is before the court of appeal. Proceedings have been stored. We are waiting for the determination from the court of appeal. Then the Attorney General enters criminal prosecutions against the member of parliament when you know that the appeal processes may or may not nullify the decision of the high court why can't you wait because you want to pass e-levy so you go to court seek a bench run so you can go and arrest a member of parliament and you tell me you want to negotiate with me so because they have gone after your mp you also decide to go not on the because, road no not because you've gone after our mp 
when you are not playing fair, then there is no point in me sitting out to negotiate with you. But they are, your leaders in parliament are discussing and having negotiations with them. And, and I'm telling you, as it stands now, negotiations have broken down. So if E-Levy is brought again tomorrow... We will vote against it tomorrow. The NDC will vote against it. All our 137 members of parliament will vote against it. Are you sure that NDC people really support this opposition of yours, that E-Levy should not be passed? Um, because when the NDC people wanted you to reject the nominees of the president, you made them go through. Now you are kicking against E-Levy. Are you sure if that's really the pulse of the party? If you follow online discussions, Ghana Web ran a polls and what I saw was scary. Out of the over 60,000 people who voted in that polls online, 91% of them were against the E-Levy. We have visited markets. We have toured around the country. We are doing what we call our outreach as a political party. All our town hall meetings we've had with our members of our party, the message has been very clear. Tell our members of parliament we will not accept the E-Levy today, neither are we going to accept it tomorrow. Okay. So there is total support. Let's talk about your demonstration tomorrow. What's the structure like? What's the plan? Um, tomorrow we converge at the Obra spot, the normal spot for demonstrations in this country. It was the March for Justice that we started from the, the uh, what do you call it, the Accra Mall. But this one we are starting from the Obra spot. Tomorrow at 7 a.m. we expect every woman in Ghanaian, citizens of this country, who are appalled by happenings under this government, citizens of this country who are not happy with the governance style of Nanada Danko Kufuado and citizens of this country who, don't, who do not want to pay the E-Levy, citizens of this country who are not happy with the U-Tax strike, citizens of this country who are not happy with the prices in petroleum hikes, citizens of this country who wants to see a better Ghana are all invited to participate in this demonstration. We are starting from a brass spot. We'll come through Farisco all the way to the striking force office go through Tudu, Kinbu, Octagon, and then the AU runabout, and then to Parliament. When we get to Parliament, we'll submit our petition to the Speaker of Parliament, or Wh whoever comes to represent it. Which groups are going to partner the NDC tomorrow? Um, so far, the youth wing of the PNC, the youth wing of the CPP, the youth wing of the APC, and the youth wing of the PPP. They all issued statements yesterday, and I believe it's been in the media from yesterday. There are pressure groups that have said they are not going to join you. Um, people are only looking for attention. So I don't know how you, 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 are, you want to fight for something. For instance, one of these pressure groups writes to the NDC members of parliament asking them to resist and oppose the E-Levy. And then the NDC decides to go on a demonstration and says, you will not join us. Meanwhile, this same group tried demonstrating against the E-Levy. So, for whatever reasons, and if I tell you the reasons why they said they are not going to join us, it is laughable. Listen, tell, tell me, I want to have a laugh. Um, they, called, they called us to tell us that we should openly state that when we win power in 2024, we will support their position for a new constitution before they join us. And I told them that, no, we can't, we can't promise you that. You are referring to the Fix the Country yes, group? Yes, the Fix the Country group. Vomawa and his friends? Yes, he's the one I spoke to. He's the he, one he called you? Okay, he, said so that, they, he said that let them let them join you on condition no. that so you know they took a letter to parliament to our minority group in parliament and let me say that 
when you write to the minority NDC, if it's the NDC you've written to. So when we decided to do the demonstration, we spoke amongst ourselves and said, oh, this group have even expressed interest in protesting and demonstrating. So I reached out to Oliver and I said, we've seen your letter asking the minority to hold this position against the E-Levy. We intend to go on a demonstration. And then he said they fully support the demonstration and that they will join us. So we, we held a conference call. Myself, Bernard Mona of the Justice for Ghana movement, and then himself. Spoke at length, we agreed. So even the statement that we were supposed to read, putting together the coalition, when the statement was ready, we sent it around so that everybody could make his inputs. Then on Sunday night, the press conference was on Monday. Sunday night, he calls me and tells me that he's met his group and that this is the demand of his group. I told him that, no, we can't grant, I can't grant that demand. So you know what? You don't, you are not a big movement. The NDC doesn't need anybody to demonstrate. We are the biggest political party in this country. So if we want Second to go out, biggest. we are the biggest. You haven't won an election? No, we are the biggest. No, you're not. We are the you biggest. You didn't get 50 plus one. We are the biggest political party. <laughs> According to Jane Mason, you did not get 50 After plus Jane, one. It's um, um, the, the police has given you its blessing. Yes, we so are. So the police will yes, be there the tomorrow. Will be there. Um, COVID issues, you've got that sorted? Like we did the last one. Okay. It will be problem. No riots? Then this is a very peaceful political No party. violence? No. We've no never, standoff with the police? We've never done Would that. your MPs be there? Some of them will be there because tomorrow, you know, tomorrow they'll be having a funeral to at the forecourt of parliament. A former member of parliament is being buried tomorrow. He's being laid to rest. Okay. Okay. So our understanding is that some of them will be at the funeral and some of them will also join. Will, your, will your former flag bearer be with you tomorrow? That will be the surprise. Let's wait. Okay, the surprise is that he'll be there. I never said that. You said that would be the surprise. You're asking me and I'm saying that may be a surprise. So let's wait. Okay. He may, he may not be there. George Opariado Pablo, National Organizer, Youth Organizer, NDC. Thank you for coming on Prime Live. Thank you, Omaru. My name is Umaru Sandamadu. Production by Sixtus Don Olo, uh, Beverly London, Zoe Abube Duado, and uh, technical support came through from oh. Daniel Squashi and Desmond Nyaku. Eyewitness News turns tomorrow at 17.30 GMT. Thank you for listening. Stay blessed and stay safe. Good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-976-732 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and Twitter at City 973.